I welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Brian Oberg, and we're so delighted that you've joined us here at Bethel Baptist Church in Marquette, Michigan. Uh, one day I was reading in the book of Isaiah, and I was struck by a thought about the uniqueness of God. Now, I was so unaccustomed to thinking this way that it actually seemed to me that I was uh, going in a wrong direction in what I was thinking. And here's the idea that struck me that day. God is the greatest servant of all. And before I can properly serve him, he must serve me. Now, when I mulled that over, it just seemed like a crazy idea to me. The creator, serve me, the creature. As you hear me say that, it might even sting your ears just as it stings my ears. And you might say, what do you mean? Well, here's my thesis that I think is coming out of Isaiah that morning as I read. And the thesis is this. If God is all-sufficient, then he must be the greatest servant of all. And if that is true, then before I can serve him effectively, I must let him serve me in the way that he chooses. If I could put it into a single sentence, it would be perhaps this way. Before we can ever serve God, he must first serve us in his way. Before we can ever serve God, because he is all-sufficient, he must serve us in his way. Now this morning, I want to encourage you to take a Bible and turn to Isaiah 64. And I want to bring a message entitled, The All-Sufficiency of God, from the first seven verses. And I want to begin by reading verses 4 and 5, because it is there that I think we see this great truth that Isaiah is teaching us. Listen to verses 4 and 5 of chapter 64. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you, who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Now Isaiah here is focusing upon the all-sufficient God who serves. And so startling and unique is God that Isaiah says to us, he is unlike any other God we could ever know about. And to teach this, Isaiah uses two extremes that include everything else in between. In verse 4, he says, At no time in history, from of old, all the way back has a God like ours been told of. And then, by no human culture, a culture that is heard, perceived, or seen, has any God been observed like ours. So no culture has ever observed a God like ours, therefore they cannot tell us about a God like ours. Now, Isaiah here specifically has in mind the Exodus, the ten plagues, and the Lord appearing to his people on Mount Sinai. That's what he means in verse 3. Look at that verse. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. 
Well, that's talking about the ten plagues and the exodus and God coming down and shaking Mount Sinai as he met in that awesome display with his people. I want you to think of Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth at the time, after his son died in the tenth plague. I'm sure you've seen that scene if you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments. And here's this powerful man in total brokenness, taking the lifeless body of his firstborn son to the sun god of Egypt. And he places that limp body in the outstretched arms of that huge idol, the greatest god in all of Egypt. And then we hear this pitiful cry from Pharaoh, I beg you, restore my son to life if you are a god. And of course, there's total silence. There's no response from the sun god. You see, the idols of Egypt could not serve. They were to be served. They could only take. They could not give. And so Isaiah then draws a contrast with the true and living God. Notice what God does. In verse 4, he acts for his people. In verse 5, we are told, he meets his people. That's a very picturesque word. It means to meet as a friend, with kindness, with the offer of help. It's the very same word that is used of Jacob when he began that very dangerous journey. And the Bible tells us that the angels of God met him. And so like two friends meeting, where one is going to help the other, so God meets us to assist us. God serves his people is what the Bible is telling us. He is ever giving, he is never ever needing. Now, you know, if we think about this, this is the only way that it really could be. The whole Bible teaches us this truth. Um, what could we possibly give to God that he doesn't already have? Uh, in Romans 11, verses 35 and uh, 36, the, the Bible says, Who has ever given to God that it should be paid back to him? For from him and through him and to him are all things, and therefore to him be all the glory. What could we possibly do for God that he couldn't do better himself? The Apostle Paul in Acts 17.25, and we heard this just a little earlier, said that he is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. But instead, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And then think of what Jesus said about his own ministry. His own mission is based upon this truth. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? To serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, this attribute that the Bible is describing for us is that God is all-sufficient. He is self-sufficient. And it's interesting, if we were to hear the explanation of a great theologian like Charles Hodge, this is how he would describe this attribute. Listen to his words. According to the scriptures, God is self-sufficient. 
He needs nothing out of himself for his own well-being or happiness. He is in every respect independent of his creatures. Another Bible teacher has put it very succinctly, everything other than God depends on God. But God depends on nothing besides himself. And so what this means is since God is all-sufficient, he is in no need of help and support from us. Uh, C.S. Lewis had a wonderful way of saying things in such a memorable way. And I want you to listen to how he put it. He said, in God there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenty that desires to give. Isn't that a wonderful truth about God? In God, there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenty that desires to give. And that's what Isaiah is teaching us about this unique God that we love and know. Now, there are two wonderful things that flow out of this great truth about God's all-sufficiency. And Isaiah shares them with us. Here's the first thing that flows out of this. God is always ready to serve his children in time of need. Just what a wonderful, comforting truth that is. God is always ready to serve his children in their time of need. So think about what this means. If we are down, God can lift us up. If we have a hard decision, he can give us the wisdom we need for that decision. If we have a very difficult choice... God can give us the courage that we need. If we have a hard task, he's the one who can help us to do it. And then think about this. Not only can he do these things, but he is eager. He is willing. He wants to serve. It is his very nature as the all-sufficient God. All of us know that John Newton wrote the greatest Christian song, perhaps, that's ever been written, Amazing Grace. And he put this wonderful truth in a little couplet that is very worth remembering. John Newton said this, You are coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. What a great encouragement that is. Because our God is all-sufficient, we can never ask too much of him because he is capable of meeting every need. Well, now, there is a second truth that comes out of this truth about the nature of God is all-sufficient. And that truth Isaiah shares with us is this. For God to serve us effectively, we must be in a healthy relationship with him. For God to serve us in the way that he desires, he calls us to be in a healthy relationship with him. You see, John Newton was exactly right in saying, you are coming to a king. And that's exactly what Isaiah emphasizes here. When he says there's no other God besides the true and living God, the word that he uses here for God is the Hebrew word Elohim. It is a reference to the supreme God, and it is 
talking about his majesty. You see, God is not only the servant of all, but he is the king of all, isn't he? God is not only all-sufficient, but he is also all-sovereign. And therefore, we must bring these two attributes of God together. We must always keep them in balance. As the all-sufficient one, he desires to serve. But as the all-sovereign one, he desires to serve in his chosen way. And if we were to ask this morning, well, what is that way? Well, it's interesting, these verses here in Isaiah 64 are describing a healthy relationship with God like two friends meeting. You see, to serve God, to serve us as God wants to, we must be in a healthy relationship with him as our king. As we read this chapter, we discover Israel was not in a healthy relationship with God at this time. In fact, listen to what Isaiah says about them in verse 5. Behold, you were angry, and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. You see, the people of God were disobedient. They were contrary. They were wayward and sinful. And God had to judge them. And this was actually a prayer by Isaiah that his people would turn back to God in a healthy way. God is saying, I, I want to serve you as the all-sufficient one, but I'm the all-sovereign one. And therefore, you must come on my terms. Let me ask all of us today, what is a healthy relationship with God? And are you in a healthy relationship with him so that he can serve you in the way of his choice? Well, what's involved in that? Well, Isaiah tells us here that a healthy relationship with God involves three things, and they are so very important for us. Number one, we must wait for him. We must wait for him. Verse 4 tells us he acts for those who wait for him. Now this means accepting God's direction and guidance. Not running away from him or running ahead of him or lagging behind him. You see, God wants to serve us, but he is still God, isn't he? Yes, he is. And he always serves us to achieve his plans, not our plans. And therefore, one of the most important commands in the Bible is wait for the Lord. Wait, I say, for the Lord. Here's the second requirement in a healthy relationship with God. We must joyfully work his righteousness. We must joyfully work his righteousness. Verse 5 says about God, you meet him or her who joyfully works righteousness. God is awesome. God is holy. He wants to display his righteousness in this world. But sin, injustice, wrongdoing, None of that displays his righteousness. And therefore, all of that is a barrier to him. 
In verses 5 and 6, we have one of the strongest confessions of sin and one of the most heartfelt cries for salvation from God in all of the Bible. Listen to this familiar verse in verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. You need to be unclean like a polluted garment is telling us that sin taints us. It defiles everything we do. There is nothing that we could do for God that is completely pure and undefiled in some way in his sight. And then to be like a fading leaf that the wind takes away, that's telling us that sin destroys, it corrupts, it deteriorates, and it drives us away from God. Well, no wonder then, at the end of verse 5, Isaiah cries out, How shall we be saved? Only God is able to deal with our sin problem. And that's what Isaiah is really crying for when he says in verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. God, only you are adequate for this sin problem that we have. By the way, God has done that, hasn't he? He has rent open the heavens and he has come down. In the person of his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he has come down to serve us by dealing with our sin problem in his death and resurrection. It's so very interesting in the Gospels in Mark chapter 1 as John the Baptist is introducing the Lord Jesus as the Messiah of Israel. He baptizes him. And the Bible has a very, very interesting way of describing what happened when Jesus came up out of the water. Mark tells us in his words there in Mark 1 that the heavens were ripped open and John saw the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove and alighting upon Jesus. And a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus Christ is the answer to this prayer in Isaiah 64.1. He alone has dealt with our sin problem by his death and resurrection. And here's this wonderful experience. When we come into a personal relationship with him and trust him, the Bible says he gives us his perfect righteousness as our standing before God. And then as the good shepherd, as Psalm 23 tells us, he now begins to lead us in paths of righteousness so that this very requirement of joyfully working his righteousness can begin to happen in our lives. Well, Isaiah tells us that a healthy relationship also involves a third thing. We must remember his ways. We must remember his ways. He says in verse 5, You meet those who remember you in your ways. 
Now, in the Old Testament, ways often refers to God's commands in his word. You remember how Jesus, in referring this to him own self, said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And so to turn our backs on those commands is to turn our backs on Jesus himself. It is not to love him in the way that he calls us to love him. But instead, when we follow his ways and remember his ways, we read and study his word so that we can know that which pleases him and therefore that which places us in the place of his blessing. You know, God doesn't owe us anything, but what does he want? He wants us to be in that place wherein is all sufficiency, he can serve us as he desires to serve us. And when we are in that place, then with all the power that's available to him, he can use us in the way that he desires. You know, there's a a wonderful sermon on this passage that was preached by a well-known pastor by the name of Pastor Raymond Ortland. And I want to share with you what Pastor Ortland had to say because it really brings home what Isaiah is trying to teach us about this all-sovereign God who is all-sufficient and therefore wants to serve us in His way if we will be in a healthy relationship with Him. Listen to what Pastor Ortland says. God meets not the brilliant one, not the lucky one, but the one who is joyfully, humbly going along in the simple, ordinary path of obedience. That's where God can be found. Not with a guru on a mountaintop, but right where you are, if you're willing. You don't need to run from your life. It's where God wants to meet you. You don't need to wait for ideal conditions. You just need to use the life you do have to remember God and his ways. Are God's ways your ways? Is he the center of your lifestyle? For all of us, that's an adjustment worth making. You see, it's really a very simple principle Isaiah is teaching us. Before we can ever serve God... He must first serve us in his way. And when we allow him to serve us in his way by being in a healthy relationship with him, he will serve us with his all-sufficiency in the way he desires. Let me ask you this morning, have you come to Jesus Christ in this way? If you have, it will make all the difference. Let's bow together, shall we? And let's thank him. Father, thank you for your amazing character. Thank you for the kind of God that you are. And the God that you reveal yourself to us to be. Thank you that you are self-sufficient. You have no needs. And because of that, you are ever giving and never needing. But Lord, thank you that you are also the king. You are the all-sovereign one. 
And therefore, you serve us according to your standard and according to your ways. And therefore, when we adjust ourselves to you in the right relationship, you are ready to use your sovereign power and your greatness and goodness on our behalf that you might be known in all your glory. Father, I pray for someone today who is not sure that they know the Lord Jesus Christ and that their sin problem has been dealt with by him. I pray, Father, that they would know that God broke into this world in the Lord Jesus and sent him to the cross and enabled him to rise from the dead that we might be brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son and become his children by faith and repentance in what Christ has accomplished for us. And I pray for any who are uncertain of that, this might be the day in which they would come to the foot of the cross and find the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. How we love you today. Thank you for your greatness and your goodness. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. We're so grateful that you've joined us today. And if there's any way that we can help you in your relationship with God, that's why we're here. Just contact us at Bethel Baptist Church here in Marquette, Michigan, and we would love to encourage you. God bless you.